Welcome to the Stronger Than Steel podcast with your host, Austin Davidson and John Keir, talking Steelers all the time. Now, here's Austin and John. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Stronger Than Steel podcast with Austin Davidson and John Keir. How you doing, Austin? Doing great. How you doing? I'm doing just fine. Happy Saturday to you. It is Season 6, Episode 36 of the podcast. We are going to be talking Pittsburgh Steelers and Detroit Lions ahead of Week 10 of the NFL season, uh, which got underway Thursday, of course, with the Miami Dolphins' surprising victory over the Baltimore Ravens. And now the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers have an opportunity to take partial control of the division and get in a tie for first place in the AFC North with a victory on Sunday uh, against the winless Detroit Lions, who are coming off a bye week. So uh, we have a lot of uh, good talk coming up regarding this game. We'll preview the game. We've got a a guest on the podcast, a familiar one, William Lester, an old roommate of mine, an avid Lions fan who is uh, struggling through another difficult season with the team. We'll get his... uh, his perspective on this game from the Detroit side, and we'll hear his thoughts about this game and how that team is uh, playing as well. And, uh, of course, we've got a lot to talk about around the NFL, too. And uh, while we're waiting for Will to uh, get on the line here, I figured we could use this opportunity to uh, talk a couple things. We could talk injury report. We could talk picks for the rest of the the week. We could talk Thursday Night Football. Where do you want to start? Why don't we start with the, the outside the NFL? I feel like leading into the game, it makes more sense to go to the injury report afterwards. And I really want to talk about that Dolphins-Ravens game a little bit more. Okay, so why don't we then first start with that, uh, the Thursday night football between the Dolphins and Ravens. So the betting line 7.5 on ESPN when we made our picks. I noted that even though I was picking the Ravens, I was semi-nervous about this one. So I wouldn't have been surprised if the Dolphins covered. I did not see them winning by 12 points, which they did. They pulled away late and just had the Ravens all sorts of confused with a ton of cover zero looks and the Ravens going from that short week playing essentially five quarters after playing most of overtime last Sunday in a come-from-behind victory over the Vikings just could not put it together in this one in the humid Miami weather. And uh, obviously the result was a surprising one, but Miami was uh, certainly a deserving winner in the end. Yeah, Miami played well. I thought that they did really good. It looks like the Ravens were going to dominate from the first drive. They were able to drive downfield, get a field goal, and that was literally it. That, that, that was about it for their uh, entire team. They did score a late touchdown to Mark Andrews later on in the game to make it a little bit serviceable, but by this time it, it was already basically out of the question for them. They were already out of it. Uh, I mean, I guess I, I can't say that because I did have a shot if they stopped the Dolphins one more time on, on defense, but they didn't do that. So, uh, yeah. Uh, overall, I I was shocked by the Dolphins' ability to do it, do it in this game. They were just... They had to put in Tua, and they kept Tua in. They're also really stupid, the Dolphins. So uh, it was a very weird game because Jacoby Brissett started where it was the same as last week. Tua was there for emergencies. He has still broken, I believe, middle finger on on his throwing hand. And they're like, you can't really play, but we're going to leave you there in emergency situations. Well, Jacoby Brissett takes uh, a shot to the knee, 
looks like he's hurt, looks like it's really bad. Doesn't turn out to be that way. He was about to re-enter the game, but in comes Tua, who's been benched because of his his uh his finger, and then he finishes off the game. And uh, Brissett was good to come back in, but they left Tua in for whatever reason, and he finished with a pretty solid stat line. I ended up being uh, a lot better than Brissett because of one big completion at the end to basically polish off the game. I believe it was a... Ooh. See, I'm confused. I'm confusing the Isaiah Ford catch and the the Wilson catch. I'm pretty sure it was Isaiah Ford that got the game ceiling catch for 52 yards. But it might have been... Mm, Are you talking about the one on the final drive? Yeah, the, the one on, on the final drive. The final touchdown drive, you mean? Because that wasn't the last drive for the Dolphins. Huh. It the was Albert that, Wilson, by yeah, the way. The it was a 64-yarder. Yeah, the one I was thinking about was Albert Wilson. It was not the one to Isaiah Ford. The one to Isaiah Ford happened earlier in the game. Oh, okay, but yeah. The, the best play of the game, though, was to Robert Hunt, by the way. Oh, that was 100% the best play of the game. That should have counted. Play of the season. Yep. I, I just loved watching that play because my man's got in front of Miles Gaskin and said, this is my ball, and, and took it to the end zone. Uh, I love that. Mossed, mossed his own running back. I, I don't know how often you see something like that. Yeah, I think it was because he was honestly supposed to be a lead blocker. I don't know if he was confused, he wasn't fast enough, or why he was exactly looking back. But uh, Well, I, 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 can, I can kind of explain that a little bit. Uh, on occasion, when you're out on a screen pass, the lineman will occasionally glance back real quickly to see if the ball has been thrown so they don't get uh, called for a legal man downfield. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm sorry. Choking. <laughs> I'm okay. But, that, okay, that makes sense, yeah, because you can't you can't go until the ball, the, the, based on the rules, the ball has to be, you know, coming out soon. So that makes sense. But that was that was hilarious. I thought that was great. Uh, as far as the uh, the fact that it wasn't really a sexy performance from either team, but do you think that the overtime for uh, Miami or for the Baltimore last week played a factor in the Ravens' loss here? Um, I don't know if it. I, I'm sure it played a factor. I don't know. I don't think it's why they lost. They just didn't play good. They put up three points through three quarters, and that's not going to win you a game. So, and I, I that can't all be blamed on that. Lamar Jackson threw a pick six. Oh, I'm sorry. Lamar Jackson threw a pick. Then uh, there was a fumble six from Sammy Watkins. Uh, Marquise Brown couldn't was dropping balls again. Uh, just not a good team performance, and I don't think it could all be blamed on the short week. Alrighty. Uh, do you want to move on from this game? Any last thoughts on Thursday night football? Well, Lamar Jackson is my MVP just can't help yourself can you i cannot i literally cannot 26 for 43 oh with an interception oh that is quality mvp performance don't worry you got 39 yards on the ground uh, over four yards of carry excellent excellent my mvp oh yeah, yeah. I, I don't even i don't know if i want to get into this right now i'm not Again, in, we're, i'm i am not i'm not the biggest like I'm not the biggest Lamar Jackson fan either, but I just I don't know. He's allowed to not have a good game. That's my I'm MVP. Just I'm trying to think. It's funny they had that streak of games with consecutive 100-yard rushing performances. I'm pretty sure this is the third time this year that they haven't reached that number. Yeah, just barely too. 
But yeah, I, I, it's kind of tough when all their running backs are dead. Well, the the ones that they wanted anyway, and then their offensive linemen are also sort of dead. Oh no, it was only the second time this year. Mm. So they will be playing Chicago next week. Easy peasy so. should be a good bounce back game. All right, uh, let's get around to the rest of things around the NFL. Uh, do you want to talk games? Why don't we get to the news first? The Los Angeles Rams made headlines for two reasons. Number one, they signed Odell Beckham Jr. So after all these teams were thought of as potential front runners for Odell Beckham Jr., it's the Rams that end up signing him. That was definitely a surprise to me. Yeah, it definitely didn't make sense at the time. Basically, Odell was worried about not getting targets in Cleveland and then went to a team that had three solid wide receivers, a solid tight end, decent running backs, like just an all-around already good offense. And he's like, all right, this is good for me. Like, it, it makes sense to go to a competitor, I guess, but like, and I guess better than the Browns, but I don't know. At, at the time, before the news that broke today, it just didn't make sense. And I mean, it, it's not like he foresaw what would happen today. And what I'm referencing, I, I guess I could go into instead of being uh, mysterious about it, is that Robert Woods tore his ACL in practice on Friday. The thing is, though, we didn't know until... He didn't know until sa Saturday. He finished the practice, he got up, and even had a press conference after, and basically everyone thought he was fine. He thought he was fine. But on Saturday, it was found out that he actually tore his ACL during that practice. Finished the practice. What an iron man. I guess he just... I guess it just wasn't that painful. Sometimes it, that can happen, I guess. But, uh, yeah, so now OBJ has a more defined role as being behind Cooper Cup. But, uh, yeah, just tough injury for Woods. And I guess it ended up working out for Odell that he could be on a competitor and still get maybe now get more targets. He could basically s slide into Robert Woods' role. It's a curse, man. Odell Beckham Jr. did it. Yeah, he did. He came in and took his, his ACL. In, in all seriousness, though, the fact that Deshaun Jackson left the Rams for that exact same reason kind of makes you wonder why he yeah. would go to the Rams, you know, before yeah, all that. It makes no sense. Like, he could have went so many other places that were competitor that would give him the reps. I, I, I don't know what he got from the Rams. Apparently, he had a bunch of conversations with the Rams guys over there. I know he specifically took talked to Jalen Ramsey and Von Miller. Uh, and then uh, Jalen Ramsey basically had him talk to the rest of the wide receiver room. I get whatever they said was really good. I, I have no idea. It didn't make sense at the time for him to go there. Seeing as how, seeing as how the, uh, the injury to Robert Woods has going to lead to him getting more playing time. Do you think it ends up being a good signing after all that? Oh, I think it is. I always thought it was a good signing, though. Uh, for them, for OBJ, it wasn't. But for the Rams, why not? Wide receiver three being OBJ, that is that is ideal. <laughs> like, behind uh, Robert Woods and uh, Cooper Cup. Uh, then your wide receiver four is Van Jefferson. You have a really nice squad, that when you, especially when you consider that you also have Tyler Higby, and then your running backs have been uh, serviceable between Daryl Henderson, mostly Daryl Henderson, and then uh, Sonny Michelle, I guess, exists. But... You know, so uh, I I think I think it was a good signing. All right. Uh, elsewhere, wide receiver Julio Jones of the Tennessee Titans has been placed on injured reserve as well. He's been kind of quiet this year, but 
the fact that he's still a name is interesting because now the Titans offense is basically just AJ Brown, which kind of changes the way that team is going to play even more. Yeah, that's not what I was hoping for when I had talked about how I thought the the Titans could uh still exist. I mean, Julio Jones is going to be back for the the Steelers game more than likely, but uh I said that with AJ Brown and Julio J- Jones healthy, they would still be able to have an offense without Derrick Henry. I don't know how much they can handle with just AJ Brown. I'm not I'm not sold on that. I know Julio Jones hasn't been great this year. I, I saw a stat today that he only has one game where he had over 56 yards so far this year, and a lot of that has to do with injuries and then also just A.J. Brown is the certified wide receiver one. I, I said that before the season started. I didn't care what anyone said. Julio Jones is an amazing wide receiver, it, it, but A.J. Brown is the youth, and, and new, he was the guy there. But anyway, uh, yeah, this is going to be tough. For the Titans now. Basically what I said about them being able to redefine their offense without Derrick Henry being a thing is going to be much harder uh, without him playing. Shall we get into, or is there anything else going around around the NFL? I'm seeing a note that Hall of Fame linebacker Sam Huff from the New York Giants has died. He was 87. Dang. Rest in peace. I don't see anything else going on of major note at this point. Okay, yeah, I don't see anything either. All right. Um, I'm looking at the lines for ESPN this week. Some of them have changed. Do you want me to throw that in there? Oh, they have? Dang, they changed. Uh, Actually, two from what I can see. I'm right on ESPN's uh, scoreboard. Falcons-Cowboys is eight points now. Falcons, Cowboys, so they believe in the Falcons a little bit more. Jaguars, Colts is now 10 points. Jaguars, Colts is now 10, so they're a little bit scared of the Jaguars as well. Bills, Jets is 13. And they're giving back respect to Buffalo. Okay. And I have Cardinals, Panthers at 10. Okay. Do you want me to just kind of go through these as we make our picks then, since it seems like they altered every one by half a point? Uh, yeah, we could do that. Sounds good to me. I kind of edited them as as you were talking, so. Oh, okay. Well, in that case, I, we'll, we'll just get started, and if I see something different, I'll try to adjust for it on the fly. Okay. okay. So starting with the 1 o'clock games, we're going to be out in Jerry World for the Falcons and Cowboys uh, two teams uh, still in the playoff hunt are the Falcons uh, kind of resurging after a slow start this year. Uh, the Cowboys coming off that disappointing loss at home to the Broncos are eight-point favorites right now. Uh, I, I know there isn't much to say for me with when it comes to picking against the Falcons, but I will add this time that I just feel like the Cowboys are going to be playing pissed off in this one, so I'd like the Cowboys to cover this one. I like a backdoor sneaky getting back into it for Atlanta. So I'm going to pick Atlanta plus eight. I originally had them plus eight and a half, but I still take them plus eight. Saints at Tennessee Titans. The Titans are currently minus three. No line adjustment despite AJ, or I was going to say AJ Brown. Uh, Julio Jones going on injured reserve. I know that he hasn't been a big part of the offense, but given the fact that their offense is just AJ Brown at this point, I have a hard time thinking that this is going to be anything other than a three-point win for either team. This has push written all over it for me, so I'm going to go with the Saints on the road plus the three. 
I kind of, I feel like this was the only matchup where I would have picked the Titans to cover, and I'm picking the Titans to cover, and it's because the same thing just happened to the Saints. The Saints have no offense. Their one thing was Alvin Kamara, and he's out. So I'm going to pick the Titans to cover because they're both crippled in the same way. Jaguars at Colts in this AFC South matchup. The Colts are 10-point favorites at home. I like Jaguar, the Jaguars here. Uh, quick little story time. I made an error when I was talking to a friend of mine at work this past week. He asked me what I liked better, whether it was the Colts to beat the Jaguars in an elimination uh, survivor pool or the Ravens over the Dolphins. And I told him I didn't like divisional matchups, but I did not take into account the Ravens playing on the short week on the road after overtime. So I feel like I really let the guy down. So I want nothing more than the Jaguars to win this week. So I'm going with my heart. Give me the Jaguars plus 10. That's Please. fair. Yeah. Please help me. <laughs> I feel that, dude. Elimination's so tough. Uh, I'm going to pick the Colts to cover still. There's such a big guilt that you carry with you if you feel like you helped impact <laughs> it too. So uh, yeah. I, it, it, I wouldn't feel good because he still would have lost, but at least I would have known that I couldn't have made a good choice either way. So I'll at least have that if, if the Jaguars somehow managed to win. This is a big game for the Colts though. So, I mean, they got to win this one to stay in it. Uh, Browns at Patriots. This is maybe, the, in my opinion, the most interesting game of this 1 o'clock schedule that we have. Bill, or sorry, Browns at Patriots, uh, two teams with identical five and four records. The Patriots have struggled at home, though. I don't know. Th this is interesting. The Patriots are two and a half point favorites. I would have expected the Browns to maybe be slight favorites, but I, I think this is kind of a coin flip game. With that being said, though, I like Mac Jones and the Patriots to lay the two and a half. Yeah, I felt like this was a tough call. I really would have liked the Browns a lot better with Nick Chubb. I'm assuming that's the reason why they're not favored. I'm assuming it's because they're down to, I think, one active running back on, on their roster. Yeah, and they've been decimated by COVID. And in, in fact, um, I was going to say, I think both of these uh, running back rooms have been decimated, one by COVID and the other by injuries. Yeah, Damian Harris has been ruled out with a concussion. We're waiting on Ramondre Stevenson. They're hopeful he could play, but... He also has a concussion, and we don't know if he is going to play for, for the Patriots. Yeah, both ravaged running back rooms. Um, I'm going to pick the Browns plus two and a half. I, I think that they can still do it with Ernest Johnson, but I'm not super confident, and I kind of bounced back and forth on who I wanted. Anyone see what the weather is in New England on Sunday? I feel like if it's a bad weather game, I, I like the Patriots, as weird as that sounds. But if it's good weather, I like Cleveland. I have no idea. I know that it's raining in Pittsburgh. That, AccuWeather says Snow. 52 degrees and cloudy. Mm. So, I don't know. I, like I said, coin flip game in my opinion. Should be one of the best games of the early slate here. When was the last time you saw a team lose to a a one and seven football team and then was still favored by double digits the following week. It can't happen very often. I can tell you that and it's gotta that, be the week 17 to the playoffs. And that, I don't know, double digit uh, point favorites in the playoffs. I, I can't imagine that happening very often though, either. Yeah. It's not very often. You'd have to, be, what I'm imagining, right. Is that, that the team was the one seed that benched all their players in week seventeen, and then they were facing the six seed, and the six seed really sucked. Like they like it was like 
a, a year where the AFC South, where like one of those Texans teams made it, and it's like that team wasn't even that good. That's what I'm imagining. We are, of course, talking about the Buffalo Bills who lost in frustratingly disappointing fashion to the Jacksonville Jaguars a week ago. They are in New Jersey to take on the New Jersey Jets. Yes, I'm going to call them the New Jersey Jets because I hate the freaking New York name when they play in New Jersey. But regardless, the Jets are 2-6. and six. Uh, it, Mike White is back, right? Mike White is back. This is true. Money Mike White is playing this game and starting. I'll still give me the Bills. I'm not going to pick them as my lock this week, but uh, Tremaine Edmonds is out for this one. Zach Moss is questionable, which could be interesting for Devin Singletary. I do think the Bills have to run the ball a lot better, but I still think that even when they're not firing on... Whoa, hold up. We got big breaking news here, Austin. What's the breaking news? Ben Roethlisberger has been declared out on Sunday after being placed on the COVID-19 list from Field Yates. Sheesh. Oh my goodness. Wow. Okay. Um All right. <laughs> that is some big news. Uh that What a was... bombshell. Oh no, and that opens up the chance that tomorrow it could get worse. Oh, in the morning cuz they have to any unvaccinated we'll have to or I guess we're going to find out who's unvaccinated on our team. It, it, if uh, anyone else tests positive, because no one can be tested on Sunday, I think, based on the new rules, unless you're unvaccinated. So, oof. It doesn't say if he tested positive, so, I mean, you can deduce that he is either, or, uh, he's either positive and vaccinated, or he's uh, unvaccinated in a close contact. Uh, contact. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> well, the other, uh, not to, not to go crazy here, but, uh, Oh, wow. Well, I'll put it this way. I know Mason Rudolph has had uh, social media stuff uh, saying that he's a Trump supporter. Do you think he's vaccinated? <laughs> I have no idea. That would be bad because then it would be Dwayne Haskins season. It wouldn't. Be, we'd be skipping Mason Rudolph season for some Haskins action. Oh, boy. <laughs> I really hope that's a false positive. Oh, man. Oh. God, that was that was not news I was ready for. When you said breaking, I didn't expect it to be for the Steelers, and that was not what I was expecting. The Steelers have been so COVID-free this year. He's the first. He's the first Steelers player to be placed on the COVID list this entire season. Yeah, that's so tough. That that is a tough pill to swallow. I guess I'll get, be careful what you ask for. I wanted to see Mason Rudolph play earlier in the year. Now I'm getting it when everything I was like, okay, this is fine. He's not throwing hey, the turnovers anymore. There, there was a reason I was saying to give it more time. I, I I don't know. I do not feel good about Mason Rudolph having to play in this game. Sheesh. <laughs> Alright, uh, according to Ian Rappaport, Mason Rudolph will start, so um I mean you can kind of deduct from that what is going on. I, I don't know, it makes it sound to me like uh, Ben was a close contact. Yeah, I have no idea. So that's going to suck. I don't know. I do not know. Wow. Wow. That uh I'm glad we got that before we started the interview with Will. Yeah, that cuz that doesn't that quite change the outlook of the game by quite a lot losing the team's most valuable position. <laughs> oh, yeah. Man. I wonder how the line is going to be impacted here. 
And to think I was going to have a bold prediction about Ben Roethlisberger touchdowns. You just got to switch out the names. Make it Mason Rudolph. Whatever whatever you're going to do. You were going to say Ben five touchdowns? Now you have to say Mason has five touchdowns. <laughs> oh, Lord. Let me see what this says. If stupid ad blocker. This is really good podcasting we got going on here. Trying to scramble right now. All right. Uh, according to Pro, uh, Pro Football Talk... Uh, ben Roethlisberger is out for Sunday's game. He becomes the second high-profile quarterback to miss a game after after test. What is this? Sorry, I misspoke here. Uh, if he's vaccinated, he'll be able to return after generating a pair of negative tests at least 24 hours apart. If he's not vaccinated, he'll miss at least 10 days. Yeah, so, so I guess we'll find out pretty soon if he's vaccinated or not. Yeah. I thought I he know. was. Didn't I thought I read somewhere that he was. I guess he never disclosed that. I'm not sure. I don't remember if it was uh, disclosed or not. But we go and find out, basically. On this. I... Well, Maybe he was immunized. Immunized. <laughs> don't. I, uh, let's not even get to that. <laughs> Wow. Well, that was certainly an interesting bombshell. Certainly changes the way. Uh, certainly changes the way we uh, are going to have to approach the preview of this game. Yeah, this is that was unfortunate for that to be the first uh, COVID positive test that we had. Certainly a surprise to be sure. Well, with that being the case, do you want to? Uh, continue moving along yeah sure we can go back to the rest of the nfl all right we were on bills and jets right we were the... talking about bills and jets yes yeah so i'm gonna take the bills they're 13 point favorites on the road i am gonna take them a uh, little nervous but i do think they'll bounce back i simply cannot pick the jets anymore uh i'm gonna have to pick go with the the bills to cover it doesn't matter the spread i just i cannot trust the jets anymore regardless of how close they were to covering the spread uh last week against the colts or when they last played the colts um yeah so give me the bills to cover i hope it's a good game though i have a lot of friends going to that game tampa bay buccaneers at the washington football team a rematch of last year's wild card preview in the same stadium tampa bay is a nine and a half point favorite though on the road i like tampa bay in this one my nfc championship pick has been so horribly disappointing this year yeah uh washington football team has nowhere near the defense they were supposed to uh we can sort of relate not that bad though but uh yeah i'm picking the bucks to cover as well all right, Austin, we're going to have to take another break here because Will has said that he is ready to go. So we're going to pause things here, and we will pick up after our preview. Uh, we'll finish up the picks, and we'll talk more about this game. All right? Sounds good. All right. All right, hello, and welcome back to the Stronger Than Steel podcast with Austin and John. And as mentioned before, we have our good old friend Will Lester on to talk about the Detroit Lions. Uh, Will, welcome back to the Stronger Than Steel podcast. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. I'm hanging in there. I'm glad to be on. Always great to have you on, Will. It's uh, unfortunate the Steelers and Lions don't get to play more often, but uh, 
we always appreciate having you on the show and uh some news broke right before we got to have you on the show and uh, figured that would be a good a spot as any to start with the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers starting quarterback Ben Roethlisberger will miss tomorrow's game against the Lions after being placed on the COVID-19 list which means that it's going to be Mason Rudolph starting against the Detroit Lions and will uh, I know Ben hasn't been playing great this season but when you see that kind of news I mean what is that what's running through your head when you hear something like that well, initially, I just kind of like chuckled to myself because everyone's going to jump to the bit like, oh, this is the week, this is the week. But this is the kind of headline we've seen before as Lions fans and, and frothed at the mouth for and then totally dropped the ball on. So I'm going to try a lot of the weekend and not take it for granted and hope we get the win, but understand that even Mason Rudolph is capable of beating this team with ease. So we'll see how it plays we'll out. It, but We'll call it cautious optimism then? Absolutely. That's that's the name of the game when you're a Lions fan. And oh no, and, I'm sorry, man. <laughs> it, it, it's, and, uh, it's, especially with a season like this, it's it's sort of the reality where you have to understand where you're at. And I know this is not a team destined to win games this year simply based on an age level and talent level. So I mean, the hindsight is if we lose games, it's for the greater good. We get better draft picks, and this is a new staff that's starting to build a roster and kind of go from the ground up so we have a long ways to go anyway so there's no need to lose sleep over games against an afc opponent when you're on the road and uh why don't we start there uh well actually since we're we're talking about the the way this team is formed a lot was talked about when uh, dan campbell was introduced as the new head coach of the detroit lions in the offseason obviously has uh, a lot of great quotes but uh is it unfair to say that even though this team is 0-8, the way that he has kind of held this team together and the way that he's been perceived as like a leader, is it unfair to say that this might be the best 0-8 start you've ever seen for a coach, considering it doesn't seem like there's a ton of negative publicity for him? <laughs> I mean, I don't know if there's a lot of 0-8 starts that you love, but in hindsight, <laughs> I like more of what I see from an 0-8 Dan Campbell team than I did from a a two and six Matt Patricia team. There's, there's a lot of things that you see on the field that you don't love, obviously. And statistically, there's a lot to really hate about the lions, which I'm sure we'll get into. But when you look at the players that you have on the field and you know what you're looking for in, in a, the young guys and B the guys who are coming from other organizations that weren't necessarily drafted here and have been asked to be the leaders of this team of a team that everyone, but everyone, but the people in that building understand is not a good team and they have to go on their day to day and say, Hey, we, we can be a team that can beat anybody on any given week. It's not an easy thing to do. And I think that's why, even though we're zero and eight, you can say this is a good start for this team because even though statistically and in the win column, it's not there, you can kind of see the mentality of, of the team change just by the play on the field, the way they play, the way Dan Campbell coaches on the field, there's a lot of talk about, oh, we're just, we go out there, we get throttled, we go back to the locker room, and we're just talking about kneecapping people. There's a lot of all that nonsense and all the crazy stuff Dan Campbell says in the media, which which I love, by the way. It's It makes it almost lighthearted. It's like, hey, we understand we're, we're not a winning organization, and we're trying to get there, but we're not going to get there by being stiffs. We're not going to get there by being defensive gurus, as Matt Patricia liked to say, but it's it's going somewhere and you can even in the draft everyone was pleading 
get a receiver, get a quarterback. They didn't do those things. They went out there. They got good physical players. They got Penny Sewell. We got uh, Levi Onzerike. We got Aline McNeil, Derek Barnes, Ifedu Malafanu. All been contributors on this team since day one, with the exception of Malafanu, who's been hurt since week three. But all these guys have seen starting roles. We've seen progression from them. And they come through with a mentality of we're, we're here to play. We're here to play hard. We don't care what they're trying to say about us. We want to go out there and we want to lay it all out there and win. And while we haven't won yet, there's been a number of games where everyone in the world has been like, how did the Lions lose this game? They should have won this game. I mean, you look at Baltimore, Minnesota, the Rams. These are all very winnable games from the way we played. So uh, like we said at the start, I'm cautiously optimistic of what this team can do. Not so much in winning a bunch of football games, but seeing the progression from, you know, we were a team last year that was defensively worse than we were 0-16 back in 2008. And then, John, I know I've told you that so many times, it could make you vomit. <laughs> but when you go from a team like that and you see how they respond a year after, 0-16 teams don't come around and win a bunch of games. The Lions came around after drafting Matt Stafford and only won two games. And Matt Stafford is out there as an MVP candidate right now. So there's there's no reason for me to sit here and be like, we should win five, six games and com- compete for anything. It's we need to get better with the young guys we have here and take that next step forward rather than just turning around and being buried again and then having to go through this process all over again, which we've seen so many times. Yeah, and I think you guys should just got to get healthy too. Agreed. I, I was really high on, on Romeo Acora coming into this season. I really liked him. I, I I thought that he was like a sleeper guy. Obviously, he's on IR. You guys invested a really high draft pick in Jeff Okuda, and while so so far he hasn't played well, I think he could develop. As you talked about, uh, I fit a Melnafu. Mel I'm sorry if I mispronounced <laughs> that. He's on IR. There's a lot of guys <laughs> like that on, on this roster right now. Don't feel bad. Yeah. There's there's a lot of hope for the future with, with the young guys that are there. There's just... Need to get healthy and stuff like that. And you guys almost came back against the 49ers as well. Mm-hmm. Was, that, they made it close at the end. I, that was like really early on. I'm pretty sure week one, week right? Week one mm-hmm. was was that game. And that was also the last time this Lions team scored 20 points in the game. So Ooh. it's it's been a, it's been tough sledding. But, yeah, there there are guys like that, like Okwara, Malafanu, who, who have shown promise. And, unfortunately, we have so many injuries, especially in the defensive backfield where we're missing at least four guys going into this week, being Akuda for the year. Melifon, who just returned to practice this week, but I'm, I believe he is going to be out this weekend. Uh, undrafted free agents, we have Parker and other guys who just are also hurt. It's It's been tough sledding in the secondary on defense, but we we do have pieces here, and I am I am optimistic about a lot of the young guys. Uh, I, I got to say, I was looking over the uh, whole coaching list that the entire uh, Lions team employs, and there's a lot of good uh, recognizable names from Deuce Staley to Anthony Lynn, Mark Brunel, uh, who else, Dom Capers, Aaron Glenn. There's there's a lot of uh, recognizable names there, which I think bodes well for the Lions going forward, especially coming off the bye week. And uh, a, a lot has been talked about the whole Jared Goff trade for uh matthew stafford jared goff uh has put up decent numbers at times i'm thinking uh in specific situations he has not had uh terrible numbers like in week one but at the same time it sounds like he's just not making a lot of the plays that you know the the lines were hoping that he might be able to make and he hasn't been pushing the ball downfield i I saw a 
graph of uh, intended air yards and completed air yards, and it looks like Goff is way down in the corner. Uh, now, I, I know it's easy to blame the quarterback, Will, and I, I'm sure that there's a lot of blame for for him too, but is it also fair to say that uh, he's struggling because there's really not many weapons in terms of the passing game? I mean, where do you come down on that? Is it a is it really as simple as saying that it's both on the receivers and the quarterback, or is it just as simple as one side isn't performing and that's what's causing the other side to be dragged down too? I mean, I think it like you said, it's it's pretty universal. Jared Goff has been incredibly underwhelming. But I think if if you're someone who came into this and thought Jared Goff was the answer to this team, then I I don't think they looked at it from a full scope of things. I think the majority of people from the outside looking in said Jared Goff is your bridge quarterback. He's the guy to get you to whoever you're going to bring in when the time is right. And that's kind of how I felt about it too. Granted, I did have some – I think my expectations for Jared Goff were a little higher than the way he's performed this year simply based on he's a former number one overall pick. He has – led a team to the Super Bowl for some reasons or not but he he does bring that sense of he's seen what a winning team is and you hope he could bring it over here I think the biggest problem is yes we we do lack that that uh you you want to have those weapons that when another team comes to your comes to your stadium you're afraid of that guy you want that guy that puts fear in those defenses and forces the defenses to have to play specifically and cater to that that player we don't we don't have anybody like that with the exception of maybe deandre swift and tj hawkinson who who are the team's two leading receivers i mean tight end and halfback are leading receivers and then you're talking about guys who if you ask the every other fan they'd go who i mean quintez cephas khalif raymond amon ross st brown they they've shown some ability to make plays but at the same time they're not they're not giant threats and we're not a team that goes downfield very often. And I, I'm a believer that I don't think Jared Goff wants to go downfield as often as he might. And I think part of that is not having those threats. Um, and just looking at Jared Goff's, Jared Goff's stats, I mean, their average yards per attempt is somewhere in the neighborhood of five and a half. I mean, that's how much they're producing on offense. And it's it's not working, whatever we're doing. And an, let me think. There's another statistic where we have run 516 plays on offense. 301 of them have been from 10-plus yards to go. I mean, three that's over half of our plays from 10-plus yards to go, and we still don't attempt to go down the field very often. So it's just one of those things where I was hoping to get more out of golf, but I think more and more as we look at it, it's a combination of no weapons, and I just I don't see in golf what – and I guess we're kind of spoiled. I don't see Goff what I've seen in Stafford for all those years. I don't want to compare every quarterback we ever look at or every quarterback I ever want for the team to Stafford. But when you go from 10-plus years of what Stafford could do and then you watch a quarterback who appears to be limited like Jared Goff, it, it's tough to feel satisfied with with either his checkdowns or when he's being pressured instead of scrambling out of the pocket and making plays, he's going backwards and taking sacks or he's got – seven fumbles on the season four of them of which he's lost he's got eight interceptions and he's only got eight touchdowns this is a team that hasn't scored 20 plus points in the game like i said before since week one if i if i had to put my thumb on one specific thing i would say it's i don't think he has any confidence in in who he's throwing it to but at the same time when you're a team that's struggling as bad as this i think you kind of have to have that blind like I don't care who's over there. I got to trust him to make that play. 
and att at least attempt to make that play, and that's not something we do very often. It's kind of it's it's kind of off track for the game, but just curiously, are what do you think of the quarterbacks coming out in this next year's class? Are are you, are you someone that wants the Lions to take one of these guys? I know they're not highly liked. Mm. I don't know if you have someone that you like in particular so far, if you've even taken a look. I don't really watch college football, so I I wouldn't blame you if you haven't. Right. I mean, I don't I don't avidly watch college football live, but I, I have tried to uh, pay a little closer attention to some of the guys coming out. Even last year, I looked at some of the guys. Um, whether you want to take my take my notes on it or not last year i was a guy that was like if zach wilson's there he's the guy you gotta have that was my take last year going in and then obviously if you look at it this year zach wilson hasn't performed well granted most of them haven't performed well but as far as this class is concerned there's not a lot of guys that jump out to me right now i know a lot of the talk is around malik willis or matt corral from ole miss um, I haven't taken a ton of time to watch a load of tape on them, but from everything I can gather so far, a lot of the talk is that this is a middling class. Um, if I'm the Lions and I have the number one overall pick, I, as a fan, I wouldn't hate it if they just went in the direction of, say, like a, a Kayvon Thibodeau from Oregon. I watched one game with him, and he was he was fantastic. But if you're going to go after a quarter, I mean, we have another first-round pick with the Rams, so I could see them turning around and getting a guy like Malik Willis or Matt Corral, but I think the, at the end of the day, it's going to be dependent on what what are we trying to do offensively? Are we trying to lean towards a Lamar Jackson-type system where it's or like a Titans-based system where it's largely predicated on being able to run the ball and open up the rest of the field, or do we want that guy that we can just – the Pat Mahomes, let's just – throw it all over the map, get yourself one good receiver, and then and then just watch Magic happen like you used to have with Stafford and Johnson. I think it's going to be largely dependent on that, but uh, I don't have a preference over a certain particular player quite yet. I haven't delved that far into it so far. Okay, yeah, because I was just kind of wondering, after you talked about how you, you viewed like Goff and how you viewed his weapons, like the wide receivers, so obviously TJ Hawkinson is TJ Hawkinson. He's still a top-tier top tight end, mm -hmm. uh, but... Yeah, I was, I was taking a look at those wide receivers. I was wondering what you were thinking on if maybe if you ended up with like the fourth overall pick or fifth overall pick, if you'd prefer a wide receiver instead uh, in that uh, case scenario with uh, this class. Right. I mean, it's all going to depend on where we fall. And as we know with the draft, the, the receivers, the skilled position players, you know, your quarterbacks, your running backs, all those types of players, they end up climbing up the draft boards the more and closer and closer we get to the draft simply based on a need level everyone feels like they need as the Steelers now know everyone needs that running back everyone really wants to go after those receivers or those quarterbacks I think um I think if I'm the Lions I wouldn't hate getting a receiver if he's up there at number four overall it's just going to depend on who's there and whether or not we're reaching for him and everything because if you're the Lions I mean when they hired Dan Campbell and the GM Brad Holmes away from LA they were signed on six-year deals so I I believe that they look at this as a much longer-term project than we're going to have one bad year and then we're going to just turn it around and then step into it. I think they're going to think a little more long-term than that. And even with the draft last year, there was a lot of talk. The Lions have got to go get that receiver. Everyone thought we were drafting either Jalen Waddle or Devontae Smith or whoever was sitting there, and then we turn around and we get the, the top left tackle in the draft when everyone didn't really think we needed an offensive lineman. I think it showed that they're willing to go from the inside out rather than the outside in. So 
I think it's going to be dependent on what they see in the players, what they see. I mean, I mean, it always is, but what they see in the position groups and where they're drafting, and they're going to try and get the best deal. I wouldn't even personally be shocked if they, if they didn't have the number one overall pick, they would probably trade down. I think they're looking at this more long term. Let's get more picks. Let's get more players because they got guys they like maybe further down the board or something like that. So. Until we get closer to the draft, I'm not going to get too preferential with it, but just my take on it is I feel like they're going to look a little further than just next year as opposed to, hey, we're a receiver away from scoring more points in offense, let's do that, rather than just blow it all up and try again. So we'll see. Let me. Uh, That's totally. I was okay. just going to say, let me ask you then, if uh, you're thinking it's going to be a bigger picture approach, could you envision a scenario where the Lions decide to – you know, get more picks and maybe, maybe they don't spend a first round pick on a quarterback, but maybe they spend a second or later pick on one, but maybe Jared Goff comes back again and is the primary starter next season. And then maybe, you know, maybe that second round pick becomes Jimmy Clausen and you take another swing on a first round pick two years from now. Do you see that being the most likely scenario at this point? Absolutely. I mean, we have Jared Goff on contract at least through the next 10 years. Or not 10 years, excuse me, two years. 10 years. years. Not 10 years. No, thank God. (laughs) No, we have him on contract for the next two years before it becomes cuttable to a point where the the money doesn't kill you. But, I mean, that's part of the reason we brought him on is because we were taking on that money and we got a first-round pick for it. So I... We have two first-round picks right now as it stands. I can imagine if we trade it down or... Absolutely, I can definitely see this team looking at a quarterback that could come up later in the rounds and say you know what we got Jared Goff for another year we'll take a swing on this kid no rush to run him out there right now because John if I've ever I'm sure I've mentioned this to you before but like I'm still a believer in if a guy is not ready don't just throw him out there there's a lot of Mm -hmm. talk in the NFL these days oh you get your guy you throw him out there you let him take his lumps and get over it I hate that idea we've seen it with Joe Burrow last year, we're seeing it with Zach Wilson this year where they're just they're kind of thrown to the thrown to the flames and both of those guys walked away with injuries on teams that were just clearly not ready yet. So I'm a big believer and if you see a guy in round two or three and you get the guy and you believe in that guy, you don't need to throw him out there right away. I can live with Jared Goff for another year if that's if that's what they want to do. I have no expectations for this team until maybe year three, year four of this whole rebuilding thing. So for sure. Alrighty. Uh, let's circle back to this game then and let's kind of focus in. Uh, we've been talking, we talked a lot about Jared Goff. Uh, this Lions team, not putting up crazy numbers as far as running the ball, but uh, if I had to put a finger on that, uh, they are ranked uh, 26th in the league in rushing yards. I do feel like they've run the ball somewhat effectively, though. I, I just feel like they probably don't have eye-popping numbers because they've been behind a lot this year. Uh, do you agree with me that if if they are close in games, they can run the ball successfully with DeAndre Swift? Absolutely. I mean, going into this year, that was the main concern for me about this team was we're largely built to be able to run the ball and come off of that. But the biggest fear was, well, we're not going to be in the lead for a lot of these games to do that. In fact, the Lions offense did not have the ball with the lead until week seven when they played against the Rams in the second quarter. That was the first time that offense got a snap when they had the lead. So, yeah, and and with DeAndre Swift, who's obviously, I think, our biggest weapon on offense, he's got more receiving yards than he does rushing yards this year. He's got 415 receiving yards 
coming into this week. He's he's been incredible, dual threat running back, and I think part of that has also been the the bringing in of Jamal Williams. I think he's a big piece of this offense, and he was severely missed uh, our last game when we played against the Eagles, and I mean we got throttled against the Eagles. So I think this offense, even though we don't run the ball as effectively, you said we ranked 26. I think a large part of our offense still goes through them where they're our biggest threats. And if we have both of them, we can play off of that a little bit. And it takes a little bit of the pressure off of Jared Goff having to make big plays, which is something he struggles to do. So that, you know, yeah, Swift is definitely our biggest weapon. TJ Hawkinson's out there. The run game is, is super important. He's only run for 289 yards, Swift has. But I still think having those guys back there is like what I talked about before. Those... Those are the guys that put fear in the defense. Those are the ones you plan for. Those are the ones. Those are the guys you think about when you're making your game plan. So that's I think they're super important in this game against the Steelers. So no Jamal Williams in this game is obviously a big blow. Even if he's not the main running back, he is still an important part. Uh, it looks like it might be a combination of Jamar Jefferson or Godwin Iguabuke. Austin uh, player Austin looked at a few years ago back when he was uh, safety, I believe. So. Mm-hmm. Um, do you imagine this is going to be a game where Swift gets leaned on heavily, or do you imagine we'll see a good mix of backs behind Swift? Um, I think, you know, it's going to be a, a healthy combination. Um, I think Swift is definitely going to be the guy for most plays, if not just running the ball but coming out of the backfield. But um, I I expect to see pretty much anybody. I mean, this is, this is a team, this is a coaching staff that's not afraid to just say, hey, if this guy had a good week of practice – we're going to give them that shot. We This is a team that feels like they have nothing left to lose. So this is all, all year it's been a, a no-name guys coming out of nowhere making plays for us when, you know, we need them, especially in some of these close games. So I have no doubt, you know, Godwin, I'm not even going to try and say his last name right now. But, um, yeah, he'll he'll get his reps and he'll get his chance to, to make an impact on this game for sure. You know, we touched uh, a little bit about the receivers earlier already. I just thought it was telling that two of the highlighted receivers coming into the season and Brashad Perryman and uh, Tyrell Williams, two two of the highlighted guys who already were not, you know, top-line guys were released before making any significant impact this season. Uh, You touched a little bit on Khalif Raymond, Amon Ross St. Brown, and – Quintez, uh, Quintez Cephas. Cephas. Yep. <laughs> yeah, my, I, I, had a, I had a hard time naming the guys, but uh, is there? Do you look at those guys? I know Saint Brown is a rookie, and he has the potential to be, a, you know, a weapon going forward. But in a scenario where the Steelers try to crowd the line of scrimmage and take away T.J. Hawkinson and try to box up uh, DeAndre Swift, is there one of those guys? Could you pick one of those guys to be like, okay, this is the guy I would trust to break out and have maybe a six catch 85 yard two touchdown day i think the the best chance you're going to be looking at is uh khalif raymond i think he's the guy that they uh they bring over the top more often they try and get him uh, coming across the field he'll be the dump down guy for jared goff which if they come after jared goff he's he's going to look to dump to those guys quintez has a chance but that's only if uh they find an opportunity against the steelers defense to throw deep something that I don't think the Steelers are going to be doing too much of. Um, if, if I had to put my thumb on it, I'd say Khalif Raymond would probably be the guy. But um, as, if, if you're thinking about that in fantasy, if you're going with Khalif Raymond this weekend, you you might want to rethink how you're building a fantasy team because 
<laughs> I don't. Even though he might get the high volume, I don't love. I don't love Khalif Raymond going off for 85 yards. I think Khalif Raymond will get the most looks, but I don't know if it's going to be for over 50, 60 yards. It's just these guys aren't catching the ball as often as T.J. Hawkinson or DeAndre Swift are. You know who I really thought was going to break out for your team? I thought Geronimo Allison was going to be. I was just going to say that. Yeah, yeah I. I th- I loved him in Green Bay. I'm sad that he didn't work out as a starter. I mean, he's still on the team, obviously, but he's not like one of the three main guys. You guys got Khalif Raymond, as you just pointed out. John talked about uh, St. Brown, mm-hmm. and then you have Kaderil Hodge, just kind of like your third. So sad. I kind of thought I thought Allison would be like the guy. I thought he'd break out. Finally. Yeah, there's there's been a lot of guys. I mean, between like we said before, Perriman and Williams and Allison, these are all guys you thought would be contributors, and they're just not. And I think that comes from the coaching staff just. They're liking more of what they're seeing from some of these other players and Quintez and Khalif and, and Aminra. I think they're liking more of what they're getting from these guys. And that we understand where we are. We, we're allowed to take more chances. We're not in a position to contend for a playoff spot or anything. We're going to take our shot on some of these younger, more undeveloped guys that make more mistakes potentially just to get them out there and maybe give them a little bit more experience over a Geronimo Allison who – who obviously we know from Green Bay, as you mentioned, but I did too. I, I was hoping to see more from a Geronimo Allison, especially. I'm not sure if he's healthy, but uh, he's certainly a name we have not seen on this team lately as far as a big contributor, but we'll, we'll, take, we'll, take, our, uh, we'll take our healthy reps from whoever can give them to us at this point, you know? <laughs> he's buried on the uh, de- official on the de- depth yeah. chart online, which is kind of wild to think about, but... Uh... Uh, let's uh, let's shift gears here. Talk a little bit about the offensive line and T.J. Hawkinson. As you already know, Will, I was a big fan of Hawkinson coming out of Iowa three years ago, mm-hmm. and uh, I know you. I know you have your priors on the early tight end, which uh, <laughs> you know we don't we don't need to get overly into. And you know what, Will, I, I completely forgot. We we uh, the three of us have buried the lead here. This is the Eric Ebron revenge game. Shame on us for not talking oh, about it sooner. Forgive me <laughs> if I'm not shaking in my boots. <laughs> hey, hey, he he might have two catches for five yards in this game. He just may. He just may. I, no, I, I'm not too worried about Eric Ebron. I, I love TJ Hawkinson more than I liked uh, Eric Ebron. But, you know, like we said before, and I've told you a thousand times, tight ends in the first round, I, I don't love the move. I don't love the move, especially a team as needy as the Lions. But, yeah, we won't we won't dive into that wormhole, which I'm known to do very often. Okay. As someone who <laughs> but, has seen uh, both Eric Ebron and TJ Hawkinson drafted as a top ten pick, I'm I've said my piece on them for sure. <laughs> okay, but uh, in terms of let's kind of focus in then on Hawkinson right now. Mm-hmm. You you mentioned one of the top two weapons for this team. Uh, he I know he's not uh, at the level of guys like Darren Waller or Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, but in my opinion, he's right under that tier and kind of flies under the radar because he's playing on a team that is 0-8 at this point. But I, I still think he's a pretty good talent, and uh, for a quarterback, certainly a quarterback's best friend and I think has the opportunity to provide bigger plays. Uh, is it is it fair to say that he's uh, maybe not panned out as a pick that early, but has been a reliable option and hopefully should be a player that you guys can hang on to for the foreseeable future? I think that's a reasonable take. I mean, he's he's not having a, a stud year, I don't believe. He's, he's still one of those guys that um, defenses look for. He's still one of those guys that quarterbacks can trust on. I think the big draw on TJ Hawkinson this year is he is not finding the end zone as much as we want because we're not really in the end zone as much as we'd like to be. 
But um, I think I think as it stands right now, TJ would benefit a lot more from an offense with obviously more outside weapons and maybe some more some more downfield quarterback play. But I still think TJ Hawkinson is a player that is capable of reaching that George Kittle level of of play, that Travis Kelsey level of play. I just it's it's not going to happen this year, not with this offense, not with the lack of weapons on there. And I I think that's almost true for any any tight end in this league that if you're going to have those levels of of excellence at the tight end position, you're going to need those guys on the outside to open up the middle of the field for you to get those first downs for your team when they're, when they're double covering a Tariq Hill or what you have not. So I think, I think there's still room for TJ Hawkinson to get better. Obviously I, I think the world of him, he was a first overall first round pick. I hate when people say first overall pick because I don't, I don't agree with the saying, but no, he's, he, I think he can still get there. I, I think this is just an off year for him where he's already in his, I think third different offense with this team. He's on his second head coach now, and I think I think he'll get there. I, I still think the jury's out on whether or not that was a bad, bad pick or not, but I still think he's capable of uh, proving them wrong here. Last thing I wanted to get to on the offense, uh, Austin can chime in with uh, anything else uh, he wants on the offense after this, but uh, I just wanted to touch on that offensive line real quick. Uh, highly paid and a good unit on paper when healthy going into the year. Obviously, they lost Taylor Decker for the entire season up to this point. Uh, Frank Ragnow is out after the, uh, I believe it was an Achilles injury. So we've got a whole lot of shuffling in the uh, first round pick, Panay Sewell, who had been playing relatively well at left tackle uh, after a, a slow start to the year. Uh, moving back to the right side uh, where he played in the preseason against these same Steelers, uh, what, uh, 12 weeks ago and did not look very good. Um, as this offensive line stands right now with Decker coming back into left tackle, Sewell going back out to the right, and the various injuries they've suffered there, where are you with this offensive line? Is it a big concern for you, or do you think it's just one of those things where injuries have kind of forced their hand? I, I, th- I think it's coming from a place of where the injuries have really just forced them to do things they're not they're not comfortable doing. I think from the get-go, the depth of this offensive line from from left to right has been really good, but from top to bottom hasn't been. Uh, there's only been two or three different guys that maybe we felt comfortable shuffling into the starting lineup going into the year. And losing Taylor Decker after, I believe, in the pre, either in the preseason or after week one was, was a big blow. But I think the biggest blow for this line has, has been Frank Ragnow. I mean, he's our all-pro center, arguably the best center in the league, and I think he's the leader of that unit. I think everything anchored on him and worked well. And in in retrospect, Panay Sewell did play well at left tackle, more so than he did at right tackle. But I think I think there's a certain we're going to put Taylor Decker back there. And um, hopefully after getting Sewell back to right tackle and having that experience over there, it can, it can simplify the game for him a little bit. And when he steps back to the right tackle role, he may not struggle as much as he did in the, in the early parts of the season. I'm I'm still like everything with this team. I'm cautiously optimistic that this line, when fully healthy, is a top ten unit in this league. But we're dealing with some injuries, and we're not we're not moving the ball offensively. So I think everything is up for question at this point as to what's working, what's not working in this offensive line. While it hasn't been horrible, it has not been perfect either. So. All right. Anything you wanted to touch on with the offense, Austin, or do you want to move over? Uh, no, I think we're good to move to defense. I think it was covered pretty well on offense. Okay. Well, uh, well, as uh, 
as we talked many times over the last few years about the uh, Matt Patricia era and the uh, defense he was trying to build, many of those pieces still trying to be uh, repaired or replaced, if you will, on uh, what is unfortunately for Detroit one of the worst defenses in the league at this point. 31st uh, in points per game and 25th in yards allowed per game. Uh, there are some pieces here that I wanted to point out, but uh, on the whole, this defense has been uh, quite disappointing, and I don't. I, I'm kind of curious as to where you fall on it. Do you fall on a uh, as far as the blame goes? Do you look at it and say this is uh, the mess Matt Patricia left uh, Dan Campbell, or do you look at it and say the yeah they they weren't going to be good, but this is still too too bad. Yeah, um, I didn't I didn't have extremely lofty expectations for this defense and simply because it's it's young and it was slow i think that was the biggest takeaway from the matt patricia defenses is beyond just a strategic standpoint what they tried to do the players they walked out of the building between darius slay quandre Diggs. i could go on for hours about everything that matt patricia did wrong to this team but the big factor for me is that this defense going into this year was just incredibly, incredibly slow. They played slow. Our linebackers weren't good. Our defensive backs are inexperienced. They still are. Our, I mean, Jeff Okuda not being there for the year. We have more undrafted free agents playing for this defense than I think I've ever seen. So I didn't love this defense going into the year. And then we added some pieces with between our in our draft. I like Melifonu coming in. I like Derek Barnes, Onzerike, Ali McNeil, but it's a young defense. It's an inexperienced defense, and it's still a relatively slow defense. I don't, I don't love some of the things we've done on defense. Obviously, who can we given up a lot of points? But there have still been some games where you watch this defense and you're like, okay, they're doing some good things. And I, and when I say that, I look back to like the Ravens game. I think everyone pegged the Ravens for just exploding on this defense. And then we turn around, we held a Lamar Jackson-led offense to, I think it was like 19 points. There, there's there's some things to like about this defense. I like the leadership from Alex Anzalone, and he's improved immensely since he got here. He started off slow, and then he's he's come along, and he's really been the leader of this team. Derek Barnes didn't start the year, and then he's come in as a starter and has, has played well coming in. So... I think it's still a bad defense, but in my opinion, it's a growing defense, and I think they're coming around. And I think I think they know they haven't been playing well either. I mean, if you've read any of the Lions news in the past week, it was so bad against the Eagles that our defensive coordinator, Aaron Glenn, took the literal game film, went behind the training facility, and dug a hole, and literally buried the film. Oh, Literally buried the film. <laughs> I was befuddled when I saw that news earlier this week, so... They, they know they haven't been playing well and, and they have higher expectations for themselves than I think they really need to have. But all in all, this this is a unit that is, again, struggling with injuries like almost every team in the NFL this year is. I don't like to say we struggle with injuries, struggle with injuries because everyone deals with it. But we're just with all these injuries, we're just incredibly inexperienced. And I think it's showing for the most part. I'd like to uh, start up front with uh, what I would I would call probably the best part of this defense is the defensive line with uh, Trey Flowers, mm -hmm. Michael Brockers, Ali McNeil, Levi uh, Unzurike, and they have former Steeler Nick Williams, uh, 2013 seventh round pick of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Never would have expected that guy. And the, and the oldest been... team on our, and the oldest team, oldest player on our team, might I add. <laughs> 
Really? Him, He's only 31. Him and Brockers are yeah, the wow. only two players on our team that were born in 1990. Everyone else is younger than that. You mean just on the defense or in general? In general. Those are the two oldest guys on the team. With Don Molback gone wow. as our long snapper, Nick, I believe it's either Nick Nick Williams or Michael Brockers are the oldest on the team. <laughs> uh, uh, Williams is 30, 31, and uh, Brockers is 30. Well, how there about that? Never would have pegged uh, and that, Nick Williams. And that tells to be you a right guy. there just how inexperienced and how young this team is. I mean, I'm looking at this roster earlier today, and I'm seeing guys that are. I'm seeing a lot of years that are floating under 1994, which scares the hell out of me because <laughs> that's the year I was born. I don't like seeing that stuff, but it's inexperienced, man. And I, I love the D-line too. I think you name off all those guys, and the, and the one player this year that has least excited me, strangely enough, has been Trey Flowers. I think he's been the most underwhelming considering you know all the talk about him when he first came into this team and how much talent everyone thought he had. And I think our biggest contributors have been some of those younger guys, the the, uh, the Owens Ariques, the Okwaras, who unfortunately are hurt. Um, I'm not sure about the younger brother, Julian, who's also on the team, if he's hurt or not. But these are some of the guys that are coming through as the big contributors. And, and not to be forgotten, who's been a contributor for this team a lot in the past and who has struggled so bad with injuries, Deshaun Hand, coming out of Alabama like three years ago. He's been a big part of what what was our pass rush, and he's been missing too. So, and I believe he's coming back, if not this week, in the coming weeks. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's guys to like. It's just it's not coming together this year, and I think that's understandable given the lack of the lack of leadership and the lack of experience in that locker room on that defense. Anything you wanted to touch on, Austin? Not for the defensive line. Honestly, I was very curious about the cornerbacks because I don't know a lot about the cornerbacks, and I wanted to know who was the starting slot cornerback because I was taking a look. As long as we're done with defensive line. Oh, anyway, yeah, yeah. I mean, go go wherever you want. I just mm-hmm. uh, yeah. I just wanted to start with them, yeah. So going moving backwards, because I was like taking a look at your cornerbacks, I wanted to know who your starting slot cornerback was because on one one. Side I was looking. It said Mark Gilbert, and he was. Uh, you were touched upon how undrafted free agents were playing a lot more uh, for you, and Mark Gilbert was taken from uh, from our practice squad, from the Steelers practice squad. I was very curious about that because it's not. He's not listed as the starter anywhere else, but I wanted to know who it is because I'm not sure who is the starting slot cornerback. That's a good question. I I I think it changes pretty often. It's it's been so it's fluctuated so much with with injuries and and things of that nature. It it could be. It could be him. Uh, if with Jeff Okuda out, Melifanu's not back yet. We're still, you know, waiting on. If it, it's still questionable whether or not AJ Parker is coming back this week, um, it's. I'm still. Uh, I think Orwarie's season is over. I could be wrong there. There's been a lot of. There's been a lot of rotating guys there. I mean, we had Roby Coleman for a week and then we cut him. There's. There's been a lot of. A lot of guys like that that have just kind of been signed and brought through and started and not started. Um, I would guess he would probably be our starting uh, nickel this week, but uh, I think it's going to depend on the status of A.J. Parker. Okay, and then, like, who's your best quarterback overall? Because so I was taking a look at them, and I'm not I'm, uh, I'm not really familiar with them. Oh, like, not, any not, of them. Usually... not familiar with any of them, to be quite honest with you. <laughs> that's, yeah, like, I, I didn't know. I, I wanted to put it nicely. That's totally but, like, understandable. I, I mean, this is, a, this is, like I said, that I've seen more undrafted free agents start for this team this year than I think I've ever seen. Um, if we're including guys that are injured, I think obviously the, the starting argument is Jeff Akuda should be our best guy. 
He hasn't performed well. Um, Oruarie, who was drafted in the fifth round back in 2019, has been solid, but he's he's been porous at you know at times. AJ Parker has been solid as an undrafted free agent rookie this year. Um, I liked what we were getting from Ifetu Melifanu, and unfortunately, he's been hurt lately. Um, we have a guy. I don't know if he's still on the roster or not. Ballantyne, who's been who we just added to the roster. He's from the Giants' sixth-round pick in 2019. He's on injured yeah, reserve. I, it's It's been a lot of that. Um, Rotating door at uh, injured reserve. Yeah, and absolutely. For, <laughs> for a young group, it's just it seems like they've just been hammered. Yeah, this is this has been a unit that has seen a lot of inexperience walk in and out the door at the cornerback position this year. Um, Jerry Jacobs has been solid as an undrafted rookie for us this year. Um as far as guys are healthy, I think it's one of those two guys. It's Parker or Jacobs right now, but in terms of guys that are healthy you're looking at or unhealthy, I think Jeff Okuda is gonna be is supposed to be that guy, but I like I like the play we get more from Melifanu than anybody else on the team so far. So yeah, if you're if you're at home thinking about starting any Steelers receivers in fantasy this week, I think I think you've got a really good shot at getting some numbers this week, even though Big Ben is out. I know oh, with Mason. Rudolph. I, hey, you're 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 Mason Rudolph. You you've got experience playing. You, you shouldn't have all those jitters. And if you're gonna go against the defense, I think it's got to be this one, right? Inexperienced, young, and slow. I mean, this is catered to a guy like Rudolph to be able to finally make plays. So, I mean, I don't love starting Steelers receiver fantasy, but I mean, if if you're if from strictly a matchup point of view. If you're a Deontay Johnson or Chase Claypool guy, I mean, if you can hawk a touchdown or two, I think you're golden. The Lions defense has allowed 18 passes of 20 or more yards this season, which is uh, second most behind the Dolphins, who have played, uh, obviously, last uh, Thursday. Mm-hmm. So, um, Yeah, it's it's no surprise. And, then I, and safety has not been much better. I mean, Tracy Walker is easily our best defensive back right now. I recognize that name. That's the one name you might recognize. (laughs) He was a good IDP player last year. I have him right now. I have him in one of our leagues. Yeah, one of the few draft picks from uh, the Matt Patricia era era that I that I truly like. It's just unfortunate that we had to send Quandre Diggs out the door to make it work for him. (laughs) Because I was I was a big believer in Quandre Diggs myself. Um. Elsewhere for this uh, defense, you know, we you talked about uh, Anzalone, uh, Jalen Reeves, Maven, Derek Barnes. There's a there's a collection of a few decent players right there. On the whole, though, this defense has just uh, only generated uh, seven turnovers on the season. Um, is it really just as simple as they're not generating enough pressure? They're you know, playing from behind, so it's harder to take the ball away from teams that way. Is it just uh, unlucky, in your opinion? I mean, what does this defense have to do to start gelling and coming together? I think uh, I think it's a combination of all of that. I think when you look at it all together, between always, I mean, they're on the field a lot. They're they're having to defend. Fa- I mean, they're they're still a little slow and young, and they're seeing things they haven't seen before on a, on a football field. I think to get better, I think it's just they're going to have to play more. It sounds stupid, but it's just kind of one of those things where they're going to have to get more in the field of the game because I would say on, on the front you need better in leadership, but that stuff's not coming around the corner tomorrow. You know what I mean? So it's it's one of those things where when they go and play against the Steelers, they're going to have to to have trust. They're going to have to have good communication. I like I like a lot of what Aaron Glenn has done so far as defensive coordinator. 
but I still think there's strides for this defense to take where they're, if they're going to get better, they're going to have to just get more confident. They're going to have to get a little bit quicker, and they're just going to have to trust themselves more, even though the numbers suggest that this is a defense that is not meshing, it's not gelling, it's not doing what it needs to do. But they are on the field a lot. This is The Lions' offense has not done enough. They've This is a defense that in order to win games, they're going to have to allow less than 20 points a game, which is unreasonable for a team of this youth and this in this level right now. So unfortunately for this defense to get better, I think they're just going to have to get some of those guys healthy, which isn't going to happen with Okwara, who I think was the bonafide leader of this defense. They're just going to have to play more and, and get more confidence and then just keep trying to get better individually and hope it, you know, their offense has a good day. All right, Austin, uh, anywhere else you wanted to go at the moment? Just one thing. To, I, I know we kind of went over the defensive line already, but I, d I did want to address pass rush. So do you, how do you feel about your pass rush going into this game? The Steelers' offense line has been really bad. And something I wanted to know is because I didn't know what was what was playing worse. Is the Do you think the pass rush is playing well currently and the defensive backs aren't playing well enough to give them time to rush the passer? Or is it a combination of both? Because I, I was looking at the stats. I, I saw that you guys were... Uh, twenty tied for 29th in sacks. Do, are, are, do you feel good about the pass rush, or and you think it's more of the defensive backs not giving your pass rushers time? How do you feel about that? I mean, I all things considered, with, with, the, with the amount of weapons we have on the defensive line, I, I'm pretty comfortable where they're at trying to rush the passer. I think the struggle is coming from where we're, we're struggling to stop guys up the middle going deep. Like you said before, we've given up a lot of deep plays, and it is it is so hard for this defense to get off the field on third down. It, it just hasn't happened enough as a defense. The teams are converting, converting long third downs. And even going back to the Ravens game, at the end of that game where the Ravens had the most unbelievable series of events to win that game, they had like a what was like a fourth and incredibly long, and they still converted it, and then they turned around and kicked the game-winning field goal. So I think, I think things of that nature. I think situationally, they just they need to play better situationally. They need to not give up so many big plays and try and keep things in front of them. But I think the most frustrating thing as a fan is to watch a, a bend don't break defense. It's so frustrating because you're like, all right, you know, we can keep them from getting seven yards here, but then we just keep letting them do it, letting them do it. It's like, oh man, we just. We gotta get off the field. We gotta get off the field, and they just don't. I think I think that's where they struggle. I think passing, rushing the passer, hasn't been the biggest issue on this team. I think they do it really well. It's just it's one of those things where a combination of everything. We're we're getting like we're getting good production from our linebacker core in that respect too. I think our leading our leading one of our leading sack getters is an outside linebacker, Charles Harris, who's come through really well for us. We've gotten. We've gotten a couple sacks from Julian Okwara, the younger Okwara brother. We've gotten, who was also considered a linebacker. We had one sack, I think, from Romeo Okwara before he got hurt. It's just one of those things. We're getting some production from the linebackers in that respect. It's just when, when we're forced to play deep, when we're forced to play wide, it's, I think that's where we're struggling as a defense. It's really cool that Charles Harris is having a, a comeback like with you guys. Uh, he was like a, regarded as a big bust with the Dolphins. Yeah. Uh, after that draft, and then he didn't really do much with the Falcons. But it's really cool that he's performing with you guys. Yeah, we. I. I think as a Lions fan watching him play, it, it's been nice to see him kind of come in and and play pretty well and make an impact on games. 
for the most part. We've seen him in some big sacks in some of those games where we lost big, but it's just kind of the nature of being a Lions fan, I suppose. <laughs> you you get you're you're getting you're getting good play from guys whose names you've never heard of, and then you got guys like Trey Flowers you bring in, and you're and you forget he's on your team because it's almost like he hasn't done anything. I mean, a guy like Trey Flowers, he's gotten I think one sack this year he's only got a couple hurries you don't hear his name very often lately it's just kind of one of those things we're not getting it from where we thought we would but we're still getting some good production in other areas so it's tough to gauge thank you all right i don't have any more questions about the defense if you don't all all i've got left is i just wanted to touch on uh, the fact that uh, there's going to be a different uh, kicker because Austin Seibert was placed on injured reserve, so Ryan San, uh, Santoso was elevated to the 53-man roster. Have you gotten any look at him? Uh, did he was he with the team in preseason? Uh, I I don't know anything about him. Um, we've had a couple kickers in and out of the building. I don't remember if Santoso was the guy we had earlier this year when Seibert was hurt it's possible but um I think it was but uh yeah I don't I don't I don't love our kicker situation since letting Matt Prater go but I guess that's just kind of the nature with kickers you don't really it's so hard to gauge whether you got one until you see him perform well in a game and it's so so fluctuating but no I I don't know a ton about Santoso I wouldn't fear him (laughs) if I'm the Steelers I wouldn't worry about it but I don't know if it's going to be a situation where the Lions in in a situation where a normal team might be able to kick a field goal. I don't know how many of those situations where we're going to see the Lions go for it. It's possible they're going to go for it more often, not simply because this is an AFC game on the road and we're a team that feels like we got nothing to lose. And if we're out our kicker and we're going with a guy that we took off the street, I would very much expect this team to start going for a couple more fourths down. I mean, it's something that the Lions have done a lot of already, not necessarily successfully, but going for fourth down is something that we've done a lot already this year. I think we're eight for 21 on fourth down so far this year. I mean, we've gone for it a lot, but I wouldn't be surprised if, if it comes down to it, they decide to start making more plays with the, trying to make more plays with the offense and trying to get better in that regard, as opposed to parading a guy who was bagging groceries last week and seeing if he can kick a 40 something yard field goal. So I think it'll just kind of depend on the game situation. Maybe if it's, if it ends up being a close game, uh, what about? With, oh, go ahead, Austin. After you. I was just gonna say, continue with special teams for a second. There is something to hold your hat on, though, and that your punting unit has been top tier, like literally top tier. You are second in the league in punting average, in net punting average, with forty-five point one yards per punt, and your regular average is pretty good too. You're at the top of the league for that as well. So, got a good punting situation going on with fifty point four average on punts so oh yeah stick stick jack fox the and the raptors with those kind of numbers right i mean <laughs> no i mean he I, I don't think he was an all pro i think he was a pro bowl punter last year he's been a guy that we took a couple years ago as a rookie and he's been real strong for us and hey if you're gonna be a losing team you got to figure out where your where your strengths lie and thankfully we've been one of the best at punting the ball i can hang my hat on that at the end of the day i feel good <laughs> you can hang your hat on <laughs> <laughs> we are great at punting the ball. We do it a lot, but we're great at it, so that's always good. All right, well, well, uh, we've kind of got this game, uh, got a good look at it from top to bottom on both sides here. Um, I know that, uh, obviously, you know, it, it sounds like the 
Ben Roethlisberger news is an isolated incident, so I, it doesn't sound like there's going to be a situation like the Denver Broncos last year where Kendall Hinton had to start an emergency basis. So, I mean, we'll see, but it certainly seems like it's going to be Mason Rudolph starting tomorrow. With that in mind, uh, could you give us one matchup on each each side of the football that you're really looking forward to seeing? And uh, once you're done with that, if you could give us a, uh, a game prediction. Sure, absolutely. Um, looking at matchups, I'm I'm really hoping to see a lot of Penny Sewell versus TJ Watt. I don't know how much of it I'm going to see, depending on where TJ Watt lines up, but I really want to see how this rookie, if he goes back to the right side, how he fares. I'm assuming they're going to line TJ Watt up on him a lot because they're going to try and test him. But uh, Penny Sewell has shown some good things. I mean, we saw him keep Aaron Donald completely off the stat sheet a couple weeks ago against the Rams. I really want to see how he does against TJ Watt. On the other side of things, I'm... I know I was really hoping we would get Malafonu back this this past week, but uh, I'm really curious to see how much pressure that the Lions' defensive pass rush is going to get on the on Mason Rudolph now. And I think if the Lions have any hope in this game to kind of turn this into my game prediction, if the Lions have any hope to win this game, is that that pass rush can get to Mason Rudolph, force him to make a mistake because the the Steelers are 0 and 3 when they lose the turnover battle this year. And that is something the Lions have not been on the great side of at all this season. I don't think they've won a single turnover battle at all this year. If we can force Mason Rudolph to make a couple mistakes, I think the Lions can make it an interesting game with with Jared Goff. If he just doesn't, if Jared Goff doesn't do what he has been doing and not making the throws, turning around, running the wrong way, and then taking a ten yard sack or fumbling the ball, this game with no big man, I think this game is closer than it should be. But I still think the Steelers are going to win by 10 points, personally. I think I think the Lions just, they don't score. They don't do enough offensively. Like I said, they have not scored 20-plus point, 20 points in a game since week one. I don't know if they can do anything better than that against a, a decent Steelers defense, in my opinion. If this, the only chance the Lions, like I said before, the only chance they have is if they can force some turnovers on defense. Otherwise... Najee Harris is gonna ruin ruin this Lions defense. I think this could be a big Najee Harris day. And I gotta go on the record, John. I think you I don't know if you mentioned it with me before the season. I hated the Najee Harris pick for the Steelers. I hated it for you guys. I wanted so bad for you guys to take someone maybe on the offensive line or something. But I was like, man, taking running back first round, it's gonna be a mistake. This team needs more than just a Najee Harris. I don't think it starts there, but he has proved me wrong, like a lot of those rookies have so far this year. Jamar Chase, I'm looking at you. He's proven me wrong, and Najee Harris has easily been the best weapon on this on the Steelers' offense, and I'm not looking forward to watching him torch the Lions for 100-plus yards and two or three touchdowns tomorrow. So if you're a Steelers fan, no Big Ben, I think you're still okay. I think you still are easily in control of this game. You don't panic. You don't turn the ball over. You should still win this game. Don't fret over my Lions. I'm not going to. You shouldn't either. Oh, man. Uh, do, you, do you have a, a, any specific numbers you want to throw out there for the score? Um, I think this will be a low-scoring game. I think the Steelers will probably lead maybe 14-3 to at halftime, and then we're going to – this might be one of the fastest games of the weekend, in my opinion. I think this is going to be one of those games where the Steelers, I think they'll understand they don't need to – they don't need to go crazy on the stat sheet on offense to beat this team because because they only got to score three touchdowns to do it. 
essentially. If, if anything has been proven, if you score three times, you're golden. You can win the game. You just don't got to give the Lions the ball. Most of the Lions' damage, most of the damage they do on offense has been in the fourth quarter. I mean, we've seen that in the 49ers game. We've seen it in the Ravens game. We, we've run, I think, over half of our, almost half of our uh, best offense in the fourth quarter. I'm trying to see. If I, have the, I had the numbers in front of me before. But uh, if the Steelers just control the game early, uh, they, if, I think it'll go, the over-under when I had it was 45 and a half. I think it could go over should the Steelers win the coin toss and they score to end the first half and they score to start the second half. I think that's the best chance for the over, but otherwise I see this as a 23-9 to game in favor of the Steelers. Alrighty then. Uh, Austin, if you're all set, I think we're good to wrap this one up. Yeah, I'm all good. All right, Will, I wanted to say thank you so much again for coming on the podcast. I know it only happens once every four years, so we'd like to have you on every now and then like we did uh, last year for that group discussion about officiating, which, uh, well, if you watch Monday Night Football last week, it's still uh, it's still very much a problem and it's not going away. There's a lot which, of uh, games outside of Monday Night Football that still have that problem. <laughs> All very, very it's, much it's pretty so, universal so. this season. It's been tough to watch, especially the game the other night between the Ravens and Dolphins was just that was a difficult watch with the officiating. I'm sure we could have uh, the passer driving uh, them down the field. Yeah, it was yeah. horrible. Horrible. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure we could have you on again at some point this year just to have a roundtable discussion about that because that was always uh that's always fun to talk about. But uh in the meantime, Will, thanks as always for uh coming on uh hope you're doing well and uh we'll uh have to get together sometime soon we always appreciate having you on and uh appreciate the insight enjoy the game tomorrow absolutely thank you guys have fun beating on my team this weekend it'll be fun for you (laughs) don't don't speak too soon we'll see (laughs) we'll see uh before you go is there anything you want to plug like your twitter or anything yeah please please do whatever Um, you want if you want to follow my twitter i am at Will Lester, that's uh, W-I-L-L-L-E-S-T-E-R-9-4. Um, you'll see a picture of me and my dog. Um, I don't tweet too often. I tweet mostly, if I do tweet, I tweet a lot of Lions stuff or just general kind of sports stuff and gym, you know, whatever. NASCAR season just ended, so you won't get any of those horrible takes from me on Twitter anytime soon. But um, that's where you can find me on Twitter. Um, as for any other medium, I'm sure you can kind of go from there. I don't have too much going on. I'm sure we'll be interacting with your Twitter account a lot tomorrow, so uh, <laughs> we'll we'll be along for the ride together on that one. I'll be sure to be on top of it. Alrighty, well, thanks again, Will, and uh, we'll have to have you on again sometime soon. Maybe uh, maybe before the season ends, and if not, then we'll have you on, uh, you know, during draft season or something. But uh, certainly not the last we'll hear from you. Sure thing, no problem. Glad to do it. All right, take care, brother. You got take it. Care. You fellas have a good one. Bye. All right, welcome back to the Stronger Than Steel podcast with Austin and John. I uh, hope you enjoyed the interview with Will Lester and uh, Austin coming back from that interview now, uh, talking Steelers and Lions. We'll get back into our game picks to close things out in a little bit. But uh, after hearing Will talk and getting to fully let the news of Ben Roethlisberger missing uh, tomorrow's game sink in, where are you at right now? Uh, I feel not different than i felt i i basically i literally didn't change my score prediction it's the same exact score prediction i said this makes a little bit more sense now now i won't get yelled at for it but uh i don't feel good i'll put it that way but 
I don't know. I guess we'll see. How much worse can Rudolph be, he says, his famous final, final words. Basically, what we need from Rudolph is to not turn over the ball. If he doesn't turn over the ball, we're getting the same exact play that we had with Ben Roethlisberger. But that's what I'm worried about. I'm worried about Rudolph turning over the ball. So, because uh, th- that was basically the difference between Ben in the first four weeks to Ben from week four on, is that he didn't turn over the ball. The Steelers still only have four turnovers. So, uh, and because I, I wouldn't say Ben is playing, like, great or anything. He's playing, he's playing serviceable football because he's not turning over the ball. But, um... Yeah, so that's the key for Mason Rudolph for me. It's just not turning over the ball. Very much like uh, Peyton Manning in the last uh, the last few weeks in the playoff run for the Broncos for Ben the last few weeks. Here's how I think it shakes down for Ben to Mason. The pros and cons with Ben are pros. He's an 18-year vet. He knows the offense. Even if it, you know, even if it's a new offense, he has more freedom than any, anyone else in the offense. Um, you know, he has more of a rapport with those receivers than anyone else. Um, yeah, he's not great at pushing the ball down the field, but uh, I, I trust him, especially in two-minute situations. He can get the ball out of his hands quickly, and he can check the plays when needed to. Uh, so that's the good thing. The bad thing is he's struggling to push the ball down the field. He can't really extend the play, and uh, he's obviously uh, a guy that uh, not really mobile, so there's all that, and uh, he does occasionally throw uh, an interceptable pass, you know, deeper down the field, and doesn't target the middle of the field. With Mason Rudolph, uh, the pros, he's certainly got a more lively arm at this point than Ben Roethlisberger does, particularly down the field, more accurate down the field. Completed four deep passes in his lone start a year ago, um, so uh, that's better for him he has a good rapport with james washington something that ben roethlisberger doesn't seem to have on the flip side though mason rudolph is also not really mobile either he has virtually zero pocket presence and has less freedom in the offense so i don't know do you think i laid it out pretty good right there yeah i was just making the one thing i wanted you to cover is making sure that mason rudolph has no pocket presence so that because that's like that is the really bad department that I didn't mention. And, yeah, that, that is going to be a closer concern with how the offensive line has been playing the last two weeks. For how much better Ben uh, Mason Rudolph is probably at than Ben at throwing the ball deep down the field, that's where Ben has the big advantage on the other end is being able to get the ball out really quickly. And uh, I'm just not sure Mason's going to be able to do that. This will be the worst offensive line Mason Rudolph has played with by far, So uh, at least in terms of pass pro. Um, probably since high school. <laughs> yeah, probably I mean, let's Oklahoma be honest. State. Uh, he was having a better time. Uh, if I'll put it to you this way: if Mason Rudolph doesn't turn the ball over and doesn't get you know crushed in the backfield more often than not, I think this team might score more points than they would have with Ben. On the other side, I also think they're more likely to lose, if that makes sense. I think it's less likely. I saw the Steelers having a somewhat close win. I could see them either winning by slightly more now or losing. Yeah, no, that makes sense to me. That's fair. So, obviously, that's the big story. The Steelers, though, offensively, it's still going to be all about the running game here. They should be able to do it somewhat successfully against this uh, Detroit Lions defensive front. Their line is the best part, so I'd expect some more outside runs. Uh, in this one, I still feel good about their ability to run the ball in this one. I don't know if they'll put up 150 rushing yards, but I think 100 should be a number they can crack. 
I think that's a fair a fair amount for this game. I mean, we looked at the Lions defense. We got to talk to Will. Got to learn some things about it. I think that that's a fair number to set with what we learned from, from Will. I'm mostly looking at the outside passing game and specifically down the field with uh, guys like, uh, I think potentially Eric Ebron, this could actually be a game where he makes a couple plays. Deontay Johnson down the field, no Chase Claypool, and uh, we can kind of transition to the injury report here. Um, Chase Claypool is the only player out for Pittsburgh. They have elevated Steven Sims from the practice squad, so not Anthony Miller, but Steven Sims is going to be. So that means we'll likely see Sims, Cody White, and Ray Ray McLeod in some sort of rotation with Deontay Johnson and James Washington. Uh, I expect that uh, Mason Rudolph will be able to push the ball down the field somewhat successfully in this one. And given the defensive backfield that the Lions are currently trotting out there, I, I would feel good about the Steelers' chances of connecting down the field a few times. Yeah, we went over it. To to be blunt, we just we really don't know those cornerbacks. We knew Mark Gilbert uh, because he was with the Steelers, but his cornerbacks aren't household names to say the least. So the one you got to watch out for is Tracy Walker. That's their best defensive back in their defensive backfield. Not a cornerback. He's a safety, but uh, someone you have to watch out for in the passing game nonetheless because he's still a playmaker. So, yeah. All right, and then uh, on the other side of the football, the Detroit Lions offenses struggled more than Pittsburgh's, as much as that might seem surprising. Struggled to push the football down the field. Has ran somewhat effectively, but have been out of games a lot this year, so that just hasn't, hasn't been something that they've been able to lean on and rely on. No Jamal Williams for the Lions in this one. Uh, Austin Bryant is questionable. Taylor Decker is questionable. But assuming those two guys play, I still think it's as simple as taking away TJ Hawkinson and loading the box against a guy like Jared Goff, who has not been pushing the ball down the field, trying to take away DeAndre Swift. I do think that this is a game plan that should work. However, I do still have some some nerves, some uh, jitters when it comes to the off defensive line outside of Cam Hayward. Yeah. Something I wanted to go back to, you know what shocked me when looking up statistics for the Lions? Uh, I was looking up uh, running back success rates because shout out Football Outsiders, they actually have uh, success rates basically defined to the same way that we define successful runs. And I, I was shocked to find that DeAndre Swift has the second worst successful run rate of any running back with more than 72, who has 72 rushes or more. He only has a 37% success rate. And I think because after talking to Will, we talked about how often they're in a third and 10 scenario. And if they're running on third and 10, he has to get at least six yards and maybe he's not getting it there. But uh, still, because any run that gets six yards is considered successful, like even if you're in like a third and 20 uh, in that scenario. But yeah, DeAndre Swift is actually not that much of a successful runner. And that's not something I expected. I thought he was doing a little bit better does line up with what will was saying where you said it feels you know that stat about like over half of the lines down in distance this year have been by 10 or more yards yeah yeah i guess he's not able to get the six yards on those if he has if they're choosing to run there or something like that but kind of kind of shocked to find that he he was number two can you guess who's the worst just to go off track for a second who's the worst running back can i get a hint? he's he's not a starter uh, I should have went with another. He's not a starter, but he's got 72 rushes. Oh, God. Can I can I have one more hint? He's in the NFC. Oh, goodness. Not 
Ugh. I don't know. Where I'll narrow it down a little bit more. Uh, well, a lot of it more. He's in the same division. Oh. Because you basically have two choices if he's in the same division. Or three, I guess. Is it uh, AJ Dillon? No, it's actually Alexander Madison. Huh. Would not yeah. have expected that. Yeah, he, he's apparently the, the worst successful run rate running back. Well, how about that? And the Steelers will get to see him in a few weeks. But um, I, I got. I think that this is a huge game for TJ Watt against Panay Sewell, who struggled mightily on the right side earlier this year. TJ could have a big day. Uh, but I think it's pretty simple for the defense. Just don't allow the Lions to run the ball and don't let TJ Hawkinson big play it. And one-on-one, they've done a good job of keeping a lid on things recently. Just uh, don't get beat over the top. Don't let the Lions get back into things here. They're probably going to be aggressive, going to go for it on fourth down. Maybe we'll get surprise on sides in this one like they did against the Rams a few weeks ago. Be ready for trick plays too. Um, you should be able to beat them straight up. Don't get fooled. Yeah, they don't care. They're playing. They they're a team that wants to win. There's 53 guys that want to win. Like this, I I know for the organization it's better for them to lose, but these guys are not people that just want to lose. They're gonna bring out all the stops. They're going to bring out anything they can if they can get advantage. We saw that as you went out in the Rams game. So you got to be ready for everything against this team. They're they're a team backed into a corner that's just fighting. Anything else you want to add? And before that, uh, we could move uh, move on. No, I think we're good. All right. Let's get back into our picks here that we were talking about before we had to stop to talk to Will. We left off at the 4 o'clock slate of games, and that means that we are at the Carolina Panthers at the Arizona Cardinals. Cardinals, who are favored by 10 as a result of the Panthers switching quarterbacks. It's going to be P.J. Walker, not Cam Newton this time. And with that in mind, even with Chase Edmonds out of this one, I do like the Cardinals to cover here. Yeah, I I kind of bounce back and forth because I basically there's a chance that Kylan Murray doesn't play. He is considered a game time decision, but I'm still gonna go with the Cardinals even without uh, Kyler. But I think there's a good chance Kyler comes back, and I think there's a good chance that D Hop does not. I'm still picking the cards to cover. I just don't like where the Panthers at are offensively. I could see this being a close, low-scoring game, but I still think the Cardinals as a team are just better overall, even without Chase Edmonds, even without DeAndre Hopkins. They still have players to work with, so I'm giving the cards to cover. Eagles at Broncos. Denver is a point-and-a-half favorite at home. This should be one of the more interesting games between two teams that are not really in the thick of the playoff race. Uh, Garrett Bowles and Bobby Massey out for the Broncos. So that's two tackles down. I'd like the Eagles to win this one outright, even though it's on the road. Um, I, I just like the fact that they, uh, I, I do think they'll be able to run the ball and the Broncos. I'm, uh, I, I don't know. I'm just not sold on them right now. I kind of feel the same way. I'm going to pick the Eagles plus one and a half. I'm, I, I could totally see it going, uh, either way, but I, I am going to pick that the Eagles, uh, win this game. I hope so. I picked them in. I picked them in basically Survivor, so I need them to win. Let me backtrack to uh, the Los Angeles Chargers hosting the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, Chargers are going to be without cornerback Ryan Smith. The Vikings without Anthony Barr and Michael Pierce. 
The Chargers are three-point favorites at home. I'll take the Chargers for sure in this one. Give me them to cover. Almost had them as my lock because I'm not trusting the Vikings at all, but give me the Chargers. Yeah, something worrying about the, the, the Vikings. I don't think they have Harrison Smith back yet either. I don't I don't think he's playing. I'm pretty sure he's not been activated yet. Let me take a look at it. Yeah, I, forgot, on... I, I was just saying I forgot to mention I had the Buccaneers as my lock of the week, by the way. Oh, yeah, that's a smart lock of the week. Uh, yeah, Harrison Smith is still on the COVID list. I, I'm still going to pick the Vikings plus three. Why? I don't have a good reason. Football's stupid. I'm stupid. I'm going to pick the Vikings plus three. If you watched any games last week, you'd understand why random you know, upsets happen. So Yeah, football doesn't always make sense, so I'm going with nonsensical reasoning. All right, next we have the Seahawks at the Packers. Uh, Green Bay is a three-and-a-half-point favorite at home. Uh, you go first here, Austin. I'm going to take the Seahawks plus three-and-a-half. Russell Wilson's activated. Car- Chris Carson's not playing, but I think that they're going to be better. They also got more wide receiver help. Their rookie, Dwayne Eskridge, uh, just got activated as well with Russell Wilson. So I'm going to pick them to keep it with th- within three-and-a-half points. I like the Packers to win this one. Uh by a touchdown or more i'm not convinced about russell wilson being healthy yet it's not sure exactly what's going on if it's going to be aaron Rodgers or jordan love but to be honest with you i don't think it matters the key important stat here austin the seattle seahawks have not won at lambeau field since 1999 that, that is, is a all. long time that is all you, but need you know to what's know. even longer the lions haven't won in pittsburgh since 1962 <laughs> there you go and uh, we, we had Will on before we started recording. He was It's 55 years to the date today, I believe he said, right? Oh, was, was it? I, I missed that when he said that. I believe that's what he said. Now, now we're going to have to look. <laughs> oh, man. I'm going to take the time. Packers to cover, though. You want to set up the next game while I do some fact-checking? Oh, of course. So the next game is going to be Sunday Night Football. It's the Chiefs at the Raiders. The Chiefs are favored by two and a half points in this game. And just to talk about what I picked, this is a manageable a manageable spread for the Chiefs now. Now we're getting into realistic. Now the Chiefs are dying off. Like, how good they are, people are, stopped, are, are not considering last year anymore. And they're focusing on this year. A two and a half spread is doable. I can see them beating the Raiders by three points. I, therefore, I'm going to pick the Chiefs to cover. I just, I, I didn't think I was going to be able to pick the Chiefs anymore this year, but it looks like they're coming back to reality, like we're, we're focusing on this year. And that is, that's a doable spread. I'll pick the Chiefs to cover here. Today is November 13th, correct? Today is November 13th at the time of recording. <laughs> Uh, November 13th, 1955, the Detroit Lions defeated the Pittsburgh Steelers 31-28 to at, I believe, <clears throat> was that Pitt Stadium then? It was either Pitt Stadium or Forbes Field at the time where the Steelers were playing. Uh, to be exact, 24,107 days ago was the last time the Lions defeated the Steelers in Pittsburgh. That's a lot of, a lot of days. Mm-hmm. Trying to see if the Steelers line is moving at all. Not seeing anything at this time. Mm. Alright. Uh let's uh let's see. I'm sorry, I, I missed what you were talking about. Did you talk about Chiefs and Raiders? Yeah, I basically I gave 
I gave my pick so you could talk okay. about what you have for that game. I'm going to take the Raiders. I'm just not going to believe in the Chiefs right now until I see them playing better consistently. So give me the Raiders plus two and a half. Totally fair. Rams uh, at 49ers. Go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna, I was going to do it, but yeah, that's fine. All right, Rams at 49ers. The Rams are three and a half point favorites on the road. Uh, I'm going to pick the Rams to cover, and this is my lock. I'm not really sure why this line is that close. I, I felt like this was a little bit more of a should be at a six and a half point spread. Uh, obviously, that means that the 49ers are going to kick them because this is an NFC West game, and you should never pick uh, these NFC West matchups. But I'm still going to do it, and I'm going to lock it. So Rams cover. I like the Rams in this one, too. The Niners are uh, dangerously close to having their GM and coach on really, really hot seats. And uh, uh, I imagine that uh, John Lynch is going to be the first to get the proverbial uh, guillotine, if you will, even though uh, he's not the real man in charge. It's Kyle Shanahan. Yeah, I could see that. All right. X Factors. Bold predictions. Final score. Go ahead. All right. All together now. Offense is going to be... Uh, Dan Moore. I think he's had a rough two games between Miles Garrett and then Robert Quinn. Uh, and now, more than ever, I had picked him before the Mason Rudolph news, but we had talked about that Mason Rudolph's one of his biggest downfalls is that he can't feel pressure. Dan Moore's going to have to clean it up in this game. That's his, that's Mason Rudolph's blind side. He needs to clean it up to prevent like Mason Rudolph getting hammered and ending up fumbling the ball or just even getting hurt. Because, I mean, putting Dwayne Haskins in there actually, I think, is is worse. That Now you start to get to a point where it's like, okay, now we're, there's definitely just immediately a a bad downfall from having Dwayne Haskins start over uh, Ben Roethlisberger. At least Mason Rudolph has a chance to come in and be like, I could play the scene. <laughs> I don't see that from Dwayne Haskins. So, uh, I, I for offense, it's Dan Moore. He needs to keep the blind side protected. Defense. I have it as Joe Schobert, but really it's the middle linebackers. As I see it, the Lions have two weapons on offense that I'm scared of. And likely both will be matched up with the middle linebackers at some point. That's going to be TJ Hawkinson. Uh, basically, in coverage, they're going to uh, Joe Schobert and them are going to have a tough time if he's down the middle of the field, running middle of the field routes when they're in zone, stuff like that. Uh, and then also DeAndre Swift. Uh, I, do, I know I touched upon his successful run rates but he's a really good pass catcher out of the backfield as well and coverage there and he's regardless of that stat I, I i don't know i haven't watched any line schemes this year or not fully at least so i i feel like it might be a little bit deceptive i think swift is a little bit better than his successful run rate uh goes on to see uh to say so i still have the middle linebackers and specifically joe Schobert as my x factor as for bold predictions, I'm going to have no pressures given up by Dan Moore this game. Uh, I'm going to have Joe Schobert with one pick and two sacks. And then my third one is that the Steelers get a safety in this game. I thought I have, I don't remember the last time the Steelers got a safety in game. I, I, I'm sure there's one I'm just forgetting. The only one that comes to mind is the playoffs against the Chiefs when James Harrison drew the hold. But I'm sure there's one in between there that I'm just not thinking of. But still uh as for my final score uh as i said last week i did not change <laughs> uh the lions are gonna win 23 22 i have the lions plus six and a half it just even before the mason rudolph news it just made sense that this would be 
a loss, like a classic loss uh, be because of where the Lions are. And again, the Lions are backed into a corner. Uh, they have nothing and everything to play for at the same time. Like, they're, they're not going anywhere, but there's 53 guys on, on that roster that want to win. So, I mean, they're going to be trying anything and everything, as I pointed out earlier. I think it's going to result in a win. Uh, now, possibly more than ever with Mason Rudolph starting. But I still think it's going to be close. I still have them only winning 23-22. All right. For me, my X factors on offense, I have wide receiver James Washington having to take the place of one Chase Claypool in the offense at the Z receiver. Washington obviously has a lot of rapport with starting quarterback Mason Rudolph for this game, seeing as how they played together in college. Could be a big game for him and Washington looking to cash in with a contract after this season. This might be his last best opportunity to show out well in this one. Defensively, I have Minka Fitzpatrick. If there's a game for him to finally get off the schneid and start getting their, those turnovers, it's going to be this one. I expect him to play well again, and I think this is the game where he can finally start turning those supposedly close big plays into actual big plays. My bold predictions, I have seven explosive plays for the Steelers' offense. Wildly explosive game on offense. I have James Washington with a 50-yard touchdown and Micah Fitzpatrick with two interceptions and ten tackles. Finally, looking at this game up and down, I even though I just told Austin, I, I feel like the Steelers are more likely to either win by a bigger margin with Rudolph than they would have with Ben or lose in this one. I am going to pick the Steelers to win 24-21. to 21 With uh, Even though they put up seven explosive plays, I think they're going to turn the ball over a couple times and keep the Lions in it, who are going to make this a close game at the end. So i like the Steelers to win 24-21, so I'll take the Lions plus the six and a half. I think we're done here. Uh, the one thing I just wanted to say is I really like that you had James Washington as your X-Factor even before Mason Rudolph was starting. <laughs> yep, that was the uh, Chase Claypool effect, uh, but obviously it looks even better now. Yeah, so. now that they got that connection, they make it, it's it's an even stronger X factor. We're gonna shoot for uh, tomorrow night after the game, possibly, or are we gonna try to do uh, a recap uh, later next week? Yeah, I think uh, tomorrow recap following the game. Alrighty, well. In the meantime, Austin, thank you as always for joining us on the Stronger Than Steel podcast. Big shout out to Will Lester again for joining us on the show today. If you have any questions about the show, please feel free to email us at strongerthansteelpodcast at gmail.com. Check out our episodes posted on YouTube under the name Stronger Than Steel Podcast and on Anchor at anchor.fm slash Stronger Than Steel Podcast. Until next time, Austin, thank you for joining me. And ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to the Stronger Than Steel podcast with Austin and John. Bye, everybody. You have been listening to Stronger Than Steel podcast. Thank you for joining us today. And don't forget to check out our website listed in the description below.